Welcome back to Fantastic Voyage, the podcast about David Bowie. I'm Jesse. And I'm John. Today we are talking about the Diamond Dogs tour. We are going to be diving into the live album, Bowie's first official live album, uh, David Live. That's right, it is. Yeah, yeah the, the others were just bootlegs up to this point, and an unfinished video project, I guess, the motion picture. Uh, yeah, that was released in late 74, I guess. It was recorded in 74, re- released shortly after. It's kind of a rush job. Yeah. Uh, I think it was actually released kind of like to promote the third leg of the tour or something. They were like, we got to get some shows recorded. There wasn't much like artistic integrity in this release, we'll put it that way. It was made by RCA and Main Man to make money. Yeah. Well, I actually... And it worked. It sold well. And I, and I read that uh, the the musicians were told on short notice that it was going to be recorded professionally for the purpose of being put out in a live album. And they they were originally going to get like some standardized some standardized union fee of like I forget it was like a hundred under a hundred bucks or something. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down somewhere. Uh, Seventy bucks they were all going to get, and then they all confronted Bowie right before the show. Was, yeah, Herbie Flowers was the one I think that was he was like the the guy that would go and talk in those situations. Okay. I, I think he may have even... I think he was tipped off, but then he did say something, too, along the lines of he noticed that there were, like, way more microphones set up, and it was like, what's going on here? There's an <laughs> album being made, isn't it? And it's going to sell, and it's going to make lots and lots of money. We need a little bit more. And, yeah, I think David, apparently, even, like, th- there was a huge argument shortly, like, right before this concert was recorded. Mm-hmm. Chairs, I think Bowie even threw a chair at him, from what I've read, and who knows if that's actually true or not, but... <laughs> You know, the just like there was tensions in the last group, there's tensions once again. Bowie seems to bring this out of everybody. Um, and yeah, so... But they, they wind up getting a... I can't remember what the, the 5, fee 000. was. It was 5000 5, yeah, so. each. That's a bit different than $70. Yeah. Um, in 1974, too. Went a bit further. Uh, yeah, it was recorded uh, in July uh, at the Philadelphia Tower Theater. I think it was over the course of two or three nights. Mm-hmm. They took, the, I guess, the best of of each song kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, great start. I, I mean, this is, I would imagine DeFreeze had something to do with this, this album in, in general, uh, and possibly trying to cheap out on paying people. But he's not going to last much longer because even Bowie's going to have enough of DeFreeze very shortly. Well, I think maybe, like, I don't think he's going to last another year. Even. You, you can even see it brewing, and we'll, we'll touch later on in this episode on the Cracked Actor documentary, but there was like a little scene of them backstage, I think, and him and DeFreeze, you can kind of just read their body language that they're not maybe it's on not the best there. terms. Yeah. And like, it, definitely not where they were at, you know, a couple years prior, but yeah, I digress. Yeah, that'll be the other thing we talk about in a bit of detail is Cracked Actor, which is a, a documentary film uh, put out by... I don't know who put it out. I guess it was... I don't know. The, I actually don't know the Was it just broadcast the on like the BBC or something? Uh, oh, you know what? I think it was a BBC One thing or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, Alan Yentob was the director uh, of that one. That came out in early 75. Yeah, we'll, we'll save that for the end. We'll, let's get into the music first, maybe. Uh, we'll do it a bit different. We're not going to talk about every single track, just because there's... There isn't as much to talk about, I suppose. We've we've covered most of these songs already, if not all of them, because David Live doesn't include anything from Young Americans yet, despite that brewing. 
right during this tour. Yeah, I think it's during the next leg. And, and apparently it is, but not apparently, I've heard some of the bootlegs, but the bootlegs, once the Young Americans sessions kick off, those live performances do sound a little bit better. Not a little bit, I think a lot better than, than the one that we get on David Live. So yeah, the Young American sessions aren't quite here yet, but they're on the horizon. They, they, they turn up very shortly. Yeah. So the, the band that, that goes out originally is a lot different than the band that he ends this tour with. Um, so for the beginning of this tour in, in June and July, uh, I guess the big, big new uh, face is, is Earl Slick makes his, his Bowie debut. And he's just, he, he's all over David Live. It's, it's the Earl Slick show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> That's kind of why I listen to this album when I do decide to put it on. Um, we'll, we'll get into Slick's playing a bit later, but yeah, most of, a lot of returning musicians from, from Diamond Dogs, Garson's, uh, back, Herbie Flowers, as you mentioned, uh, Tony Newman back on drums, and, uh, Michael Kamen is the, uh, musical director and played some keyboards. He did the, I think the arrangements and stuff too, and he also, like, this, this is a, an interesting tour too, because it's, it's not like the sort of proto-punk of the spider stuff, there's all kinds of there's you know there's baritone saxes alto yeah. saxes there's uh there's yeah. michael came and even pay, plays an oboe apparently on a, on a few of these tracks oh, so cool. it, it is a, an interesting sort of snapshot of his sound mutating like some of the the more guitar driven tracks like say like width of the circle it, it still does have that great guitar solo from earl slick but it does sort of become more of like the saxophone and like keyboard driven track yeah and there's, I think, a, there's a couple others that are, yeah, that where it takes over. Yeah, yeah. It, so it's a, it's a new sound. It's kind of like more of a mid-tempo album than like a, a fast-paced record. And yeah, I think Bowie said something along the lines of he, he felt restricted by, by Bronson, right? And that he, he was too obsessed with Jeff Beck, and so moving on from him was necessary. And so by the time we get to this tour, it really does start to show, you know, the, the song tempos are decreasing, the synthesizers are becoming more prominent, things are starting to resemble rock and roll a lot less. Yeah. And maybe now is a good time. I, I know we were going to get into David Live, like the, tr you know, the, the music, but maybe we can talk about the set because we're talking about the difference between this and Ziggy. I mean, the Ziggy set, I mean, aside from the lighting, there wasn't really much to it. Uh, certainly compared to the set design of the Diamond Dogs tour, uh, I, I, I don't know exactly how much it cost at the time, but inflation adjusted, it was, I, I read it was over, a million it was actually closer to a million and a half uh to put this set together and i mean he he built hunger city and, and brought it on the road which is just so cool and i just wish there was more footage of it because it was it was done so well he so he based it on like german expressionism it's uh kind of cabinet of dr caligari but a lot of it was based on the works of george grosh or Groz, are you familiar with him? Mm-mm. He I mean, was I've read the name, but I, I yeah, I don't know anything else about him. He was uh he's a German artist. Um, he was a uh, I, I guess like the one of the founders or one of the the early artists in the the Dada movement, which is like this anti-war, kind of like very left-winged type of art coming out of of Berlin post World War One. I, I guess it would have been. Um. Yeah, anyway, it's like very anti-bourgeois, anti-war, anti-nationalism. was very, like, kind of chaotic-looking stuff. Like, very upside-down art kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
anyway, yeah, yeah, Groves did a lot of kind of caricatures of, of German life during this uh, interwar period between World War yeah one and two, and he he drew a lot of uh, a lot of inspiration from from his work. There's some maybe we'll tweet out a couple pictures or a couple pieces of of Groves. Anyway, uh, yeah, the set is cool with catwalks and you know sky. I don't know about skyscrapers, but really kind of neat things. That big glove. There, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, um, and it's funny too because if you looked at this album cover for David Live, you'd have no idea, right? That this was this. Like, no, it looks very plain. It's a very misleading cover, and. Yeah. The theatrical experience for this tour was, by all accounts, just simply phenomenal. It's something that unfortunately doesn't really come out in an audio-only presentation of these performances. And, and with this bland cover, with kind of David just in the center with like a, a black background behind him, you know, uh, your imagination of the set is sort of clouded. You're not really encouraged to envision it. You know, if you just pick this record up without knowing the history of this tour, like most people did at the time... All you would picture is this dark, dull, black background with this spotlight on some schmaltzy Las Vegas cabaret crooner. But no, there was a lot going on. Like, I almost wish, or maybe I'll even do this as a little side project. I, I want to create like an alternate cover. That'd be cool. And maybe we'll post yeah. that on Twitter with like the Hunger City backdrop. And like the title is boring too. Like David, David Live. Live. That's not yeah. vague at all. Like, you know, it should have been Live from Hunger City. Or something. Yeah, Hunger City so cool. should have been Talk in the title. It. Yeah. They were good. I, apparently, the working title was "Wham Bam Thank You, Ma'am," which I still don't really care for. But I think it's still better than David Live. <laughs> oh, that doesn't it doesn't match the the tempo, as you said, of the yeah. Like that would have been good for the motion picture, the Ziggy motion picture, not this one. Yes, um, totally. Yeah, but you know, this is what happens. I feel when labels who don't know anything about or or even care about music are rush releasing stuff for the sole purpose of just profit. You know, there's no integrity or love for the music there. It's why the mainstream music industry is so universally hated by musicians. You know, there's no passion within the industry you know, as far as executives are concerned. Just get it out and get it out now so we can sell it and you can get something else out later. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh, yeah, the, the set was rushed too, like to, to build because I don't know if they were pushing him out or if he wanted to get out on tour at the time he did, but... Apparently one of the catwalks collapsed with Bowie on it in one of the early shows. Uh, imagine yeah. that, Bowie dying on the catwalk of Hunger City. Well, it could have been really bad too, but uh, witnesses or whoever were on the tour had said that he timed his jump perfectly. Like, it was falling and he was basically screwed, but then he, he timed his jump off of the catwalk from, like, the second before it hit the ground so that he just did, like, a regular Oh, jump. yeah. I always wondered, you know, if you're in a helicopter going down, if you just jump out of the helicopter when it's about yeah. to, because that, I guess it doesn't work that way, does it? The laws of momentum. I, I don't want to find that out the hard way, but... Right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah once again rushed so the recording i mean originally was really bad i mean it's the same recording for the 2005 mix but it they clean it up i guess visconti did the 2005 mix I yeah he, he said there were a lot of things that he wasn't a, that you wouldn't have been able to do in the 70s that he had an right. advantage with just you know generic technological improvements that he was able to sort of salvage the sound a, a lot more in the 05 mix. I, I personally don't really see too big of a difference between them. I find that the guitar is turned down on the 2005 mix. Um, I, I know that like the, the bass and the drums are all in one track, so that like that was an issue mm -hmm. for, for sound quality. Backing um, vocals were apparent. They had to be re-recorded in the right. studio yeah, because yeah. they 
they were running around. They were like they were the dogs of Hunger City, right? Like yeah. Jeff McCormick and uh, yeah. a few others. The names are slipping my mind, but yeah, they were. You know, it was hard for them to just get their vocals recorded because they weren't just standing in front of a mic. They were running all over the place, and and I think the the reason that uh, Space Oddity didn't make the original album is because Bowie was singing into what was a telephone. telephone yeah, right. That yeah. was it was a microphone faked. It, it looked like a telephone, and that. It caused some kind of problems, but he was able to salvage the the vocals on that track in the 05 mix, so then we get Space Oddity, which is right. kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Um, I guess we can kind of just talk loosely about... Uh, let's let's maybe break it down by side. Uh, I, I've got the original track listing in front of me. I know the 2005 reissue has, uh, has a few bonus tracks kind of worked in what Visconti said was kind of set list order mm-hmm. or typical set list order. He did change up the set list a little bit throughout this tour, especially after David live. Uh, it takes a drastic turn towards the, they call it the Philly dogs tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Uh, yeah. So side a has uh, 1984 kicks off uh, the, the album uh, rebel rebel moon age daydream. And then the sweet thing, sweet. Uh, great way to start the album, 1984. Uh, it's, That's the most soulful track of the bunch. Yeah, uh, totally. It's the, the funkiest. It's yeah. It, Earl, Earl Slick makes his presence felt right away. Um, yeah, playing a Gibson SG. He's got the wah, and uh, he's using uh, an early, an early. Like it's not usually on albums this early, but uh, the MXR made the Phase 90 pedal. It's a little orange stomp box with one knob for speed control. I've, I've got one. You've probably seen mine before. Uh, and, and he uses that throughout this album, and it, it gives it the phaser sound. And it's kind of neat because it was, I believe the MXR Phase 90 came out in 1972, if my pedal knowledge serves me correctly. So that's, you know, they're relatively new to the guitar world still. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's basically allowing you to, to get a phaser sound on stage at the you know, with a foot switch as opposed to using studio techniques, which had, you know, dominated the the way you got that type of sound up to this point. Like think Visconti flanging Bowie's vocals on Space Oddity was done manually with a tape. Mm-hmm. You can't do that on stage. So No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll I'll stop bantering about this isn't a guitar. Yeah, you're you're the gearhead. I won't have much to uh, to bounce off of there, Yeah. But... Uh yeah, nineteen eighty four sounds great. Uh Slick does a great job of it. And that was it. Rebel Rebel, the next track. Yeah, uh, and there's another one with Phaser all over the yeah. guitar. It, and it's um, done much more like one of those alternate mixes, right? The there's the la 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 backing yeah. vocals, and it starts off with the hot tramp. I love you so. Yeah. A di- different sounding from from the record. It almost is- makes you wonder which version he liked more. It's almost like maybe he wanted to get the straight version done. And then do okay. Let's add all the cool flourishes live. Like, he, like I know sometimes you kind of want to get a song done a certain way and have it, you know, stamped, and then you can kind of play off it forever in different ways, right? Because he's changed Rebel Rebel up quite a bit over the years. Yeah, like I, it's. I think he might have still preferred the Diamond Dogs album version, but I do think that this arrangement just fits in maybe more with the set, right? Yeah. And, and that's what is maybe one of the more redeeming qualities of David Live. It isn't my favorite release by any means, but 
it, it's more mid-tempo than your typical live rock album, you know, like, yeah. you would think, you know, louder, faster, harder, you know, that's typically the, the M.O. for a live rock album, but this one is a bit slower and a little more soulful and a little more reinventive, so I'm not sure if he was necessarily picking things that he preferred as, like, definitive versions of his own songs, but maybe just ones that were fitting into this sound. I don't even know if he has a sound figured out quite yet, because... You, no, it, yeah. It, it is soulful in some spots, but I still really view this as just like a pop rock album. Yeah. With with little, you know, hinges of, of some glam is still left over, some soul, but it, it still really is just pretty much a, a pop album. Maybe like more cabaret than soul, but he's still kind of maybe finding his footing. and it, it kicks in later in the tour, but he hasn't quite found that soul gear just entirely yet. Well, I, I think... He doesn't have Carlos Alomar yet. He got to wait a couple months, and then then he kind of finds that that sound that he's maybe looking for. I think he's already met him, but he hasn't like poached him yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you know that that mid like like you said, it's kind of cabaret. It's it's mid tempo. It's not rock and roll anymore. Not straight rock and roll anyway. And that's kind of I think without giving it too much away, what I think about this album. But that's kind of what it adds to his catalog for me is it's another flavor for an, in another mood that you're feeling. You might want to put this on, but yeah, it's kind of, it's on the back burner. It's actually, David Live is the only Bowie album that I've ever purged from my collection, ever. It's, uh, well, it's the first one that we've covered that I don't own. Okay. And I've had multiple chances to own it. I've, you know, skipped through it in record stores. I just never think I'll, I'll ever put it Play on. Play it enough. Well, I should say, actually, I've, I've purged it without having a replacement. Like, I've, I've replaced shot copies of, like, like my Ziggy copy. I had to get a mm-hmm. reissue. This one was pretty, it was used originally, and then I, it, it was shot. So I, I got rid of it without, and I haven't replaced it. It was, like, three years ago or something. So, yeah, it's not... It's not essential, but well, it's not like, bad. Like the music, I think, is what isn't essential about it, right? Because yeah. like, I wish we'd be, have, like you were talking about earlier, had more footage to, to watch yeah, of this because totally. I just don't want to listen to the music and not see the visuals. I wish that I could do that. And that's why I, I typically don't like live albums in general is because I'd prefer to watch the performances. Especially if it's available. And, yeah. and especially... Oh, with yeah. a record like this, because this oh, is one yeah. of the most extravagant sets to date in, you yeah. know, in really in, in pop music history. And we're robbed of that in, in, in the album form. And, you know, for like, I think Sweet Thing is on this side too, right? Like that's the one with the catwalk and he's in a trench coat and there's the dogs running all over Hunger City underneath him. And, you know, I feel like that was what you came to see when you yeah. went to see one of these shows, not to just, I mean, the music's good too, don't get me wrong, but it's definitely enhanced by the visual elements and we don't really get those on this record. And like I said earlier, not even on the cover. <laughs> he even says the set is amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, take his word for it. Yeah. The, it's, it's a good version of the, the suite. It doesn't hold a candle to the studio version, but it, well, cause it doesn't, it doesn't do the, the outro right yeah. that I like so much yeah. but I think it's kind of funny because you'd mentioned on when we did the Diamond Dogs episode that it's it's changes right when he gets the piano leading into that sort of crunching guitar yeah. Yeah. outro it's but on the uh, 05 mix of this record it, it actually does bleed right into changes yeah so that and is it, I actually kind of forgot about that and the streaming that, version of it yes yeah. yeah. oh yeah because you have to flip the side to get there yeah. or whatever but yeah no it's yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I remember thinking to myself when I was listening to this because I just listened to the streaming version of it yesterday. Uh, it's the first time I've listened to it in well three years, maybe. So I kind of did some last minute cramming last night, 
uh, and I thought to myself, oh yeah, I guess that Bowie saw that too, or Gar, or maybe it was uh, what's his name who who did the musical directing for this set. Thought you know you should blend these two together. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, uh, we kind of skipped over Moon Age Daydream, but it's just a solid version of it. That that you can't really do that song bad when when Bowie's singing and you've got a capable guitarist kind of leading mm-hmm. the way. Um, but yeah, decent version of Sweet Thing, decent version of Moon. They're all. This is actually a pretty good side of music. It's a great collection of songs. Yeah, I think this album loses steam maybe later on. Um, it's a double album. Yeah, mm. double albums are tough to begin with. When it's a double live album, it's like, where's the concert footage? <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> just, like, I, just give me that instead. Yeah, like it, it definitely has held my attention up until this point. Uh, yeah. I'm not like you know eager to shut it off quite yet. And then yeah, yeah, side B starts out with changes, uh, so it loses me right away. <laughs> Actually, no, no, it doesn't. I I like this version of changes a bit more. Uh, Backing vocals are a bit better, I think, on this one. Or, yeah, or they're louder or something. Maybe that has something it to could, do with them maybe. being re-recorded. I like but. the way he emphasizes uh, and the children that they shit on. He says it really loud, and it's just kind of like he's it, he's having fun. He, he likes to be naughty because he does that. Uh, we're skipping a little ahead here, but on time he yeah. falls wanking like he's anytime there's a naughty word on this album, he, he that's the loudest word he says on right. the entire. <laughs> Well, he's not, yeah, he doesn't have the TV, uh, he doesn't have whatever it was for the 1984 show, telling him to blend it to swanking, yeah. like he did. Was that the 1984 show that he said yeah. swanking? Yeah. Yeah, so Changes, uh, Suffragette City, Aladdin Sane, all the young dudes, and Cracked Actor uh, make up side B. I think of these songs... Uh, all the young dudes and cracked actor are probably my two favorites. I, I really love the sort of that schmaltzy version of all the young dudes, the, the sort of cabaret version of it. I like it a lot better than the version that we had on our Best of the Spiders playlist. Okay. Like I think this is actually probably my favorite uh, David Bowie recording of all the young dudes. Okay. Not the Hoople version is my favorite, but yeah, I, I do like this one quite a bit. It's kind of a similar tempo actually, mm-hmm. so maybe it just served the live setting more, it, like this live setting more, I should say too. Because that, because that version, the Spiders version, is kind of it, kind of drags a little bit. Yeah. But it kind of falls into this Hunger City thing a bit more, maybe than a you know a Spiders studio version. And Cracked Actor, I have that stuck in my head uh, of all the you know. There's a couple licks from this album that, that get stuck in my head after playing it, and the the horns or whatever they are in Cracked Actor. Yeah. Like, dun, dun. That's oh, the. Great. I've yeah. had that in my head all day. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome, and that takes. Play that replaces the harmonica playing on the mm-hmm. album version. Yeah, but with that one, I use, like I will watch whatever footage exists of that from this tour on mm-hmm. YouTube <laughs> because the, it's not the same. Like with the visual, it's so much better. Yeah, and uh, apparently for Aladdin Sane, he was uh, he mimed with like a Kabuki stick mask, which had Aladdin Sane's trademark lightning bolt on it, and then the lightning bolt was also like flashing from the skyscrapers above him. Uh, like like the Hunger City towers and all that. So I mean that would have been pretty cool that too. That would have been really cool. And I'm sure there would have been some crazy lights going on when Garson's doing his piano solo. So I don't think there's any footage from this track. On no, because they they do play this. I, if there is, I haven't seen it. They do play this tr- like the the studio version. I think like they play Aladdin Sane during Cracked Actor, but I think it's a studio version of it. And they show like the crowd. I think. Yeah. I don't know, I, 
watched it this afternoon, so I'm trying to remember. <laughs> Didn't write it down. His uh, Garson's piano solo was like overdubbed, right? He didn't. Uh, oh, was there was it? some okay. kind of live technical problem, so they had to, or maybe it just wasn't that good. I don't know because it's a be a tough thing to recreate live. But he right, obviously yeah. does it a little. He doesn't do it. I mean, you can never do that note for note, true to the studio mm-hmm. version. But it is re-recorded um, for this particular live uh, album. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, Suffragette City is just... A, it's a good version of Suffragette City, but nothing definitive about that. Uh, speaking of definitive, though, I'll, I'll go out and say uh, Side C, which kicks off with Rock and Roll With Me. It, this is, to me, the definitive version of the song. I, I think Slick uh, kind of brings new life to it. We, we talked about it's a power ballad. This is the one that needed the guitar ace. Yeah. Uh, and he's got it now, and it's it's just oh, slicks playing on this is I think it's the, this is the best of of him. Uh, not to say that he peaked at twenty one years old, but uh, it, it's phenomenal. Um, I think overall, a lot of the Diamond Dog songs benefit from Slick in the live environment. I th- I think Diamond Dogs. It's really hard to bring that. Like, how do you bring that album on tour with you? I don't think Bowie's playing would have maybe played as well to a live audience not to slight david's playing on the on the studio album but on the live album i I think just the way that slick plays a lot of the diamond dog songs it it gives it just new life i think this song in particular was just like made for being performed live yeah absolutely so i when you, you say this is the definitive version yeah i mean i i could see that totally because we were even talking when we were doing the Diamond Dogs episode, like it was kind of tough to see where, where that song fit on the album. It's kind of hard to, to fit it into the, the Burrow stuff and right. the 1984 stuff. I think it fits here like a glut. Like this is perfect for rock and roll with me. And it was supposedly a song, like it was an ode to his fans, right? So right. obviously you're performing live, there's fans. Yeah. Uh, this just feels the most, like, it's probably the most natural of, of every song yep. on this on this recording. And I still don't particularly care for the song, so it's not one of my favorites on the album, but it does fit this setting probably better than anything else in the whole track list. Yeah, this is the one I play when I play this song. Uh, even in the middle of the second solo, or I guess the true guitar solo of it, uh, presumably Bowie, uh, even like Hoots in the middle of it, because he's like, Slick's just on fire. I always, I love when you hear that, when, you know, when somebody loves the playing so much that even though it's being recorded, they they yell. <laughs> Yeah, what else is on this side? Watch That Man, Knock on Wood, a cover, uh, originally done by Eddie Floyd. Um, th- you know what? There's a great version of Knock on Wood done by uh, Otis Redding and Carla Thomas. They had an album called King and Queen uh, mm-hmm. in the late 60s where it was a, a duets album. And, and yeah, the Otis Redding and Carla Thomas version of Knock on Wood's great. And Diamond Dogs ends this side. If you go by the original track listing. 
we do get some footage of Diamond Dogs from the Cracked Actor documentary, like, right at the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, apparently this began with Bowie, like, up on the catwalk, and I get, he's, he's holding, like, uh, these leashes, right, to restrain the dogs, but then they... By the end of the ta- but by the end of the track, they sort of take over and they they've tied him up with the ropes. So, once again, it's something that you'd rather probably watch than just listen to. Yeah, oh, th- you know, news broke of today uh, actually. Uh, it's January third of, of Bowie's uh, publishing rights. Uh, they they all sold for I forget how many hundreds of millions of dollars. Two fifty. Uh, Warner Warner now owns all of Bowie's publishing, uh, which is a. a Growing trend in the music industry. Yeah, because Dylan just sold his catalog. Chili Peppers. Springsteen just Springsteen. did it as well. Yeah, everyone's kind of doing it. And uh, I was the first thing I thought of was, well, hopefully Warner's thinking about hologram concerts in the future. <laughs> because, like, think of the possibilities of a Bowie hologram concert. I know ABBA's doing it because they have a new album coming out, but they said, we look better in 79, so let's make us look like that. And then we don't have to tour, we can just send pictures of us out. But anyway, oh, I, if if that were to ever happen, like, do the Hunger City set. Because <laughs> I'd love to see this recreated. If that's the trend that, you know, hey, ABBA's breaking ground, maybe it'll, if there's anybody that could do that great, or could have a great performance done, with with no limits as to what you can do, it would be Bowie's catalog, so. There's anyway. quite the demand for footage from, you know, the diehard, uh, diehard Bowie fans from this period, too. I think yeah. everybody's sort of craving the, oh, the yeah. ability to experience this, because unless you were at one of these shows, you don't you never really got to see it, so. Yeah, same with the uh, the Isler tour, which is still to come, but the Bowie said himself, I really wish we would have done something more for the as far as footage <laughs> for that, because he thought that that one looked great, too. So this, yeah, the whole mid-70s is kind of underrepresented, maybe, in visual uh, documentation anyway watch that man he says you win at the beginning I wonder what he's talking about you win and then he plays watch that man maybe he's talking to Earl Slick his time to shine ah <laughs> maybe yeah you win you did this better than me maybe because <laughs> it's, it's it's after rock and roll with me yeah watch that man is uh, this is maybe where I start to get a little bit bored yeah uh, yeah I agree knock on wood kind of yeah. bores me too uh i mean that's the newest i mean that's the only song that we haven't talked about at length and i'm kind of you know we'll leave it there we're, we're sort of fortunate <laughs> i guess and we <laughs> it's just a silly cover uh, well that's what he says when he introduces her right, we're gonna have some fun tonight you know it was, yeah it was it was a very popular song at the time uh you know it was a song that you know pub bands would kind of do and stuff like that and you you mentioned one cover of it by otis redding and carla tom but there was all kinds of covers of this song, so it was one to get the crowd's feet moving. I'm sure, and it probably worked, but uh, it's it's never been a a song that I've ever cared for. I the, the I've always kind of not liked the the lyric, like the thunder, lightning, the way you brought me is frightening. Yeah. It's just like it's a <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just a very weak song, a piece of songwriting in my opinion, and this performance uh, doesn't, you know, you can't really salvage a, a bad piece of songwriting that, that well, and they don't do it here, so. Yeah. But it was, the, it was it not the lead single, or one of the singles that were released off of this album? Yeah, it was, so in the U.S. Uh, and the U.K., they released two different A-sides. Uh, in, so in the U.K., this was the single, Knock on Wood, and it was backed with Panic in Detroit, and in the U.S., it was Rock and Roll with Me, mm-hmm. uh, also backed with Panic in Detroit. Um, 
maybe now we can talk about the singles and some of the outtakes or the bonus tracks because on the the 2005 mix uh you get uh, here today gone tomorrow i think is right after knock on wood another cover uh the ohio players uh i kind of don't like that one either i don't know <laughs> oh, I, I actually i really I, I like that one a lot uh and it's you know that that's kind of i, I wasn't really looking forward to doing this episode and listening to this album but then it, i kind of rediscovered that song and i've been into that song since we since i heard it again and i i'm i do actually really enjoy that song uh, quite a bit i love how raspy and ragged he sounds it's just like i, I think he's sort of fitting he's getting into that soul groove a bit more I, if this was on the david live album i'd actually might buy it you know really? maybe okay. i'll buy the 05 mix or something but no I, I i like this one and it's interesting too because you know knock on wood was like i said that was like a, a, a song that live pub bands would do it's kind of like akin to like a shout or twist and shout right? yeah that's that's right something that bands would always cover because it was like a party song that everybody knew but here today gone tomorrow is like more of like a crate diggers gem right it's the type of song that you would only find at the time if you had like a soul obsession the way that Bowie did. And he would apparently have just crates of stack 45s delivered to him in this period. So he's well researched, obviously. And thanks to that, I we get this gem of a find of a song by him and, and a gem of a performance. I, I, I really do like this song quite a bit. I should mention, I do like the original song, uh, which I was led to by this. Uh, actually, I was led to it by just seeing the the track listing of when who can i be now came out because i didn't know that he did this song until because yeah. I, I didn't have the 2005 mix or anything and i was looking i was like oh what's that i i, th- I thought it was the ramon song oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah then i was like oh this is a really nice song and then when i heard it the the first i, I think i've listened to bowie's version of this song twice which is the first time and then like last night so maybe i'll have to revisit it a bit but i, I do like the the ohio players version of it uh well, it, it's an early cover because they wound up being huge in the mid seventies, right? What was Roller Coaster? I think was their big song with the the Honey album. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, but they weren't really. This is when was the Here Today Gone Tomorrow release? I think it was like. I'm not sure the year. Really early seventies, but before they were big, right? So, like I said, Bowie was kind of really digging through through forty fives uh, to get to a song like this. Um. And then Panic in Detroit. Uh, I had mentioned on the Aladdin Sane episode that I don't like that song very much. I like this version of it quite a bit. Um, I, I think that the saxophone fills, uh, the, it's the missing ingredient that I think that song, or for me anyway, that's what it was missing. Uh, I, yeah, I really, really like Panic in Detroit, this live version. So uh, another uh, definitive version of a song. Um a fairly big one uh, for me on this on David Live. And it, it fits the Diamond Dogs theme a bit too. Right? Panic, paranoia. Oh, yeah, it's that's perfect. Sort of, yeah. I wonder if you ever considered like like even tinkering with lyrics to make them match yeah. live performances. But, yeah, that would be cool. Uh, I don't know if he would ever do that because it's you know kind of maybe viewed as sacrilegious or maybe there was time constraints. Probably not. But no, Dylan does it enough. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but we could have pulled it off too. What Panic in Detroit too apparently had a. There was these ropes were unraveled to form a boxing ring during the live sets. In which oh, cool! Bowie was that. he was in red boxing gloves, and he was like held down by his bodyguard, and he shadow boxed like a, an imaginary opponent oh, and, and cool. lost <laughs> the fight. 
<laughs> but uh, one of those things that I just had to, I read that in the Nicholas Pegg book. I, there's no footage of it, which sucks because I'd love to see all these little kind of sketches and, you know, yeah. visual skits that he did for every song. I love how Bowie loses the fight in this too. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know. I don't even know who Bowie would win a fight with in this period. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe that fly floating around in his milk at the beginning. Well, even then, it, he needed it to drown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, great version of Panic in Detroit. He played a lot of shows in Detroit, too. He did that a lot. Uh, I think originally they planned on doing this in a lot of cities. They wanted to play, like, five nights in a row uh, in, a, in a city. And Detroit was one of the ones that they pulled it off for. Uh, I think they played like four or maybe five nights in a row and consecutive nights too. Uh, I think in New York and LA, uh, it was seven nights in a row each, which is pretty cool. Um, can you imagine like Bowie? The it's usually like you know one night only. Well, or, so no, like five, I, I would go all well, five. I was nights. just gonna ask you like, what would you do in that scenario? Like, would would you go all seven shows? <laughs> uh, well, seven's a lot. Uh, but here's the thing, David Bowie's playing in your town. What are you? What else could you be doing? Well, we always would, talk I about would freak that. Freak out if I was sitting there because, yeah. like, we, you know, oh, Paul McCartney's back in Winnipeg. Oh, we've seen him a million times. What, what are you going to do? Not go see him when he's in? Your, what are you going to be doing that night? I'd have uh, a you're going to have serious FOMO. Yeah, you'll have I'd a panic. Have a, I would have. A, yeah. I personally would have a panic attack. So <laughs> I, it might be a, a money problem. I maybe would not want to yeah. buy all seven or whatever. But like. I'd probably go to more than one. Oh, definitely. I don't know if I'd go to all of them, but definitely more than one, I'd oh, say. You'd, you'd get, like, front row for one of them and then maybe, like, sit up so you could see the set differently for another yeah. night. I, I'd watch one sober. I'd get stoned for one. I'd get drunk for one. I'd Yeah, exactly. Bring some friends to another one, you know. <laughs> bring different a different set of friends. Like, well, okay, i got to talk to these ones about them. I've just got to bring these ones because different people <laughs> react differently. Yeah, and... I'd, I'd try yeah. to make it a different experience each, each time. time yeah. Well, it, the set apparently would go through different... They have to, for money and budgeting purposes, they'd have to cut certain things out of the sets apparently, right? Like, I think it was during uh, Width of a Circle, he would tear down Hunger City. No, he would cool. just rip it to pieces. And he'd be climbing up buildings, tearing it down. But that only lasted like a handful of shows because it was like, well, we can't do this a hundred <laughs> times. Yeah. Do, and he's funding all of this, right? Like, right, yeah. I think Main Man's sending him checks, but little does he know that's... Their checks are his income, his right? Money. It's yeah. his money, so it, there's budgeting issues too. So the shows are changing from time to time, and the sets were even breaking down. I've heard that during when he was doing Space Odyssey, he was in that uh, some sort of a lift, right? It was like yeah. a. He's getting lowered or something. He, he got stuck up there apparently during one show, and he had to kind of stay up there and do a lot of songs there for a while. <laughs> so you never knew really what you were going to get on this <laughs> tour, cool. right? So you, you, it wouldn't even really probably be the same show seven times. You'd be getting different versions and stuff. That's cool. So yeah, it'd probably be worth it to go to more than one. Yeah. All right. Side D uh, closes out David Live. Uh, Big Brother and not listed, uh, but included. Yeah, uh, so if you're not a fan of Big Brother, but you like Chant of the Ever Circling Skeletal Family, maybe this is, uh, maybe 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 we'll break the news to you. It's it's on here. Uh, you just gotta get to it. Uh, but I I like Big Brother and I listen. I, I like this version of it. Um, and I mean, just I appreciate and adore the fact and the sheer absurdity that they did Chant of the Ever Circling Skeletal Family live and did the bra 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 yeah, bra. Yeah. <laughs> And he, he did that throughout his whole career live, or whenever he did it, he did that, which is so awesome. I'm trying to picture the, the it 
maybe like even kind of blends into the beginning of isn't space oddity where you can hear that like it's still going like it maybe went on a bit too long or something. I don't know if it was malfunctioning or what but anyway yeah uh, I love that they included that too uh, then the width of a circle. I think it's time that it blends in. Oh, that's what it is. But it, yeah, but you right. probably didn't. If you have the original track list, and their ta- time yeah, didn't make next. it. Yeah. Be- well, because uh, apparently, what happened for the Big Brother song was Bowie was sprawled atop like this glittering ten foot diamond, while the dogs, you know, uh, they s- scrabbled at it from from beneath him. And then the diamond rolled downstage before opening up to consume him. And then the sides fell away, revealing a giant jeweled hand. That was the hand, okay. And yeah. then he's he sings time in the, in the, the hand, hand, in right. the palm. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing. And then it's uh, Width of a Circle, Gene Genie, and Rock and Roll Suicide closes it out. Um, yeah, we kind of talked about the Width of a Circle diversion a little bit, how there's some horns on it. Great guitar work, once again. Uh, I wrote down on this side, my, my one note is, uh, Earl Slick is 21 years old and playing like it. I'm not sure what I was thinking. I, I think he's kind of maybe, he's playing like a young kid trying to make mm-hmm. a name for himself and uh, to our benefit, I think, because it's different playing than Ronson on all, all mm-hmm. around. It's a bit more kind of out front playing. Uh, mm-hmm. He doesn't really lay off quite as much as Ronson did in, in certain places. Um and except for maybe on time, he doesn't attempt the screech. At the, yeah. You know, I don't know if that's like out of a, you know, an act of respect to Ronson or if he just didn't know what to do. <laughs> How do I maybe, do that? Maybe he didn't quite fit or, or something. Or didn't work, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a few reasons, maybe. Um, he, he, well, similar to Ronson, too. I mean, he doesn't get the center stage like Ronson would, or as much as Ronson did. But he does get it uh, more relative to the other bandmates, right? Like... Uh, even for Moon Age Daydream, I guess it, for Bowie to get up to the catwalk to do Sweet Thing, he had to sort of leave, right? So they would send Earl Slick out there to just do the the end solo to Moon right. Age Daydream, and then when the song ended, Bowie would be up there. So he does get a, a few moments on this album. They're not as maybe as often or as frequent or as in the center as they were when it was the rock and roll stuff or the, the more heavy, you know, sort of proto-punk stuff, but... He gets his due, and he, he does, uh, he executes very well in the, the, the spots that he's allowed to shine in, I would say. Thoughts on Gene Genie? It's definitely the most reimagined of the bunch. Well, uh, funny you should say that. I want to play a clip because there's a Bob Marley song that it reminds me of. So in 1971, uh, there's a kind of a, an underrated Bob Marley album called Soul Revolution, and there's a song on there called Memphis. Which I used to, I had it on like a mixed CD back in the day, and then when I heard this version of Gene Genie, I went, hey, it's that Bob Marley thing. And if you, you A, B it, right, with the, the Bowie version here of uh, Gene Genie. And uh, I, I for one, am all for it. I, I kind of like this. It's kind of Hendrixy too, uh, and also like kind of Velvet Undergroundy. Just the the vibe I get from it. 
but I do prefer when it gets back into the Gene Genie, like the more traditional yeah. part. It's like, okay, yeah, give that to us. I, I don't know if it, if the the vocal melody really goes with that. It, it kind of it's kind of sloppy. I, I don't know. It, I have mixed feelings towards this version. Yeah, it's another one of those things where there's probably better versions out there that exist, and this, you know... Oh, yeah. Th- so, yeah. this album's unfortunate because I don't think it's it's a good representation of this tour, but I, I do like the direction he was going with that. But yeah, it probably could have been executed a bit better, the, the entire thing. But that, that initial vibe is another one of... The, like Cracked Actor, that's one of those things that sticks out and gets stuck in my head, is that doon, doon, doon. Like, I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah that's... It's kind of different. It's a, it's a nice little vibe, but yeah, it doesn't maybe get fleshed out yeah. outside from just those three notes. And Rock and Roll Suicide is Rock and Roll Suicide. Great way to end an album. Can you put it in the middle of an album? Probably not. So... No. Yeah, I'm glad it closes it out. So, maybe let's let's talk about the second half of this tour. Uh, in he takes August off, and now is this possibly when some of the, I know that some of the original tracks for Young Americans were starting to be fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly some of the stuff that made the Ghoster too. Maybe this in August of '74 could that have been recorded? It's possible. I I try to do a bit of. I tried to gather some info on that, but I couldn't pin it down. Um, but yeah, some some new uh, musicians come in. Uh, in September only, uh, Doug Roch, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but he was uh, Santana's bass player, uh, joins the tour briefly. And uh, I can't remember the name. I, I didn't write down the name of the drummer, but it was the drummer from Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, oh, I hate to leave that name out, but anyway... Uh, I might have it here. Dennis Davis, is it not? Uh, no, that, that that's later. Because he's... Um, hang on. Oh, yeah. Uh, Greg Arico? He came on... That That's September only. Um, in, in October, those guys are gone. And Dennis Davis is now the drummer. Yeah, right. Who, and yeah. Carlos Alomar gets on guitar for this as right. well during this stretch of the tour. Right? Yep. And uh, I, I, some more backing vocalists come on. Uh, Ava Cherry comes... Uh, and, and starts doing some of the backing vocals. Uh, Garson becomes the musical director. Cayman's uh, gone, and, and Garson takes over the arrangements of the of the, I guess the new songs that are coming out. He starts performing like Young Americans. Uh, Somebody up there likes me. Uh, a couple other. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the song Young Americans, like it's gonna be me. Yeah. Is is part of this tour. I think that's it. He also started... Or, or is, is a win, I think, is is part of this tour as well. I'm not sure if... It, oh, I wish we had more from this tour, because <laughs> that would be great. Um, I, I know on the Cracked Actor documentary, uh, some of this... There's a scene of them practicing the, the back and right. forth on right. At the, it's yeah. how the documentary ends. Yeah. And David Bowie is now a soul singer. Yeah. And they do right. And, yeah. like... and that's really cool to see them working it out. And he's going, oh, we got to get it. We got to do it this yeah. way. That's really neat. He also started opening up shows occasionally. I was looking through the set list uh, with Memory of a Free Festival. Really? Which is so cool. Oh. Because first of all, uh, some machines coming down, we're going to have a party is a great way to start a, a show. Like, oh, it's great. Hopefully. Yeah. I don't know if there are any outdoor shows, but I don't think so. But that would have been neat. But yeah, interesting that he pulled that out. And then worked 1984 into the middle of the set list. Uh, maybe a bit more 
vocal ones, he had a bit more energy. I don't know. I, I think it still would have been a great way to start a, a soul mm-hmm. tour with 1984. But well, yeah, because it is the most, like we were talking about on David yeah. Live, it is really like the only traditional like soul song on yeah. the album. Well, it's, it's I mean, it's it's the most fun. Fu- or fu- yeah, yeah. Yes, more, and, the most fun. And then the new songs from Young Americans are the most... I guess the most soul. soulful would be the better way to yeah. put it. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, so how many, uh, how many artists change their band halfway through a tour? <laughs> like that, that just doesn't really happen. And, and not to match a new sound that you're finding and molding like on the fly while recording a new album. It's just, I, I'm pretty sure that that, uh, the Dick Cavett show was shot in late 74 too. Is that right? Yeah, where he's got those shoulder pads and he looks like oh, he looks like death. He sounds terrible too. Like he must he must have been sick or something. Well, the the video on YouTube is just called David Bowie high on cocaine. Yeah, and, and it's not even David Bowie on Dick Cavett doing. So, it's just David Bowie on cocaine. Cavett looks like he's horrified like, yeah. every time. Like if Bowie like kind of leans forward, Cavett almost flinches at him. Well, yeah, he's got it's a like cane. he's frightened in so many different levels. He's frightened for David. He's frightened for himself. Right? He's, he's frightened. Like, he's just for, frightened. He's frightened for Zoe. Too. Yeah. He kind of like talks about him, and he sounds a bit concerned. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how Herbie Flowers and Tony Newman were made aware of their departure, but that, again, yeah. I, I haven't <laughs> really. These guys are in. I haven't researched their departure, but I would guess that it had something to do with that confrontation before the David Live album had was recorded. Have. Yeah, I mean it's, that was only two months ago. Yeah, right? so or. Less than, like, we're talking days, almost, or, or weeks. Mm-hmm. All right, should we get into Cracked Actor? Let's do it. Uh, yeah, it, it opens up with... Well, no, it opens up with, I guess, that mask being created, that mold of his face being taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Quicksand, I think, is playing for that, right? Yeah. The first... The, the highlight of the entire thing, though, is I just mentioned the... There's a fly in my milk. Yeah, well, that's the... <laughs> well, he's he's asked uh, by, I guess it's Yentob, uh, how America has influenced him since his arrival. And he just says, there's a fly in my milk. And at first I'm going like, <laughs> oh boy, is he out of it? But then he actually goes on to say that, uh, you know, it's, there's a for, foreign body floating around in my milk yeah. and just absorbing the milk. And he said that's how he feels about being an American. And it's like, oh, okay, thank God. He's not totally out of it. Yeah. That, that is my favorite scene. Yeah. Uh, well, and especially, too, because, I mean, he is just such a vibe there when he's listening to Natural Woman by Aretha Franklin. Yeah. I mean, that is just a, a whole-ass vibe. And I, and I love that track. And I'm glad we're getting into the soul era of his career because... I don't know about you, but there's something about soul music that I kind of I'm attracted to it during the winter. Yeah, and we're in, we're in the winter here of January 22. I mean, we're not too far removed from Christmas, and I, I always love hearing soul Christmas songs. Right, I love the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings. I was gonna say that's your favorite Christmas album, and yeah. I really like the James Brown Christmas album. Yeah. And you know, I, there's a soul Christmas compilation that I really like. So it's just Steve, very Stevie Wonder's soul Christmas stuff is great too. There, there's actually. The Black Star connection. The Black Star connection <laughs> that I just found about about a month ago. Yeah, from uh, uh, from, from just friend of the show, Justin the, Waterman. Yeah, of the pod. Yeah. Oh yeah, that freaked me out when I heard it. But and that's such a great song that I've heard so many times before. We, you know, what, let's just play it here. Someday at Christmas there'll be no wars when we have learned what Christmas is for. 
I mean, soul music is just, it's, it, there's, it's a very warm sounding music to me. And, you know, we live here in Winnipeg and we're going through a cold spell right now. It's like, what, with the wind chill, it's like minus 40 degrees Celsius or something. Yeah, it's really cold. So, uh, yeah, I need the soul music to warm the soul and to warm my body. And uh, I, I just, when, when he's in, and he's in the desert too, when he's driving, I'm just, I'm jealous of that too. But, yeah. I mean, he's just cruising through and it's, it's such a good song and he's just totally into it. That's my favorite part of the whole documentary it's great it's, and then he laughs yeah. at the wax museum in the middle of the desert yeah <laughs> wouldn't that melt and then they show some of the wax I, I, they must have stopped there and, and yeah and looked they, at yeah. it i mean if i was driving through the middle of the desert and there was a madame tussauds or whatever it was i'd stop too and look at it and it kind of like i don't know they kind of freak me out the way that it, it's shot yeah it, like they're they're not timed identically like like some of them there's like a second on one and then like you know five seconds on another and then you get a really scary one like all up yeah. close and it, yeah it's, it puts me on edge a little bit but i like it there's yeah i mean that's the best like stretch of the the first half of the the video is what i like i like the live stuff is cool at the end but i like getting the the glimpse yeah into yeah Bowie's, you know, it's sort of like you're a fly in the wall. And I, I think it's probably important to remember, too, that this particular documentary would have been a big deal at the time for David Bowie diehard fans because it's not like they had YouTube, right? Or, yeah. or basically any footage to speak of at their disposal. You know, the Ziggy movie wasn't out yet. That's still a few years down the road. Of oh, a decade down the road almost. I think it's so, 83, right? It's almost yeah. like whatever bits they saw, like in the press or, you know, pictures of him in the newspaper or him on top of the pops doing Starman, you know. That's all they really had, right? So a glimpse into what he was doing behind the scenes at this point in time must have been just an extraordinary thrill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's shot in a really kind of neat way too. Um, I, I can't help but think that uh, that Yentob uh, was trying to kind of blend the two worlds of Hunger City uh, in, with the live stuff with with America mm-hmm. because he he's British, so you know america's uh, it's not home to him and there's some musical montages where it's just like you've got some you know you got grimy music from diamond dogs playing and just footage of yeah. the streets of 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 america uh and you know that there's a dog that passes and like a stray dog downtown in front of the car you see at mm-hmm. one point it's just it, it's hunger city and he's he, i think he kind of does a good job of blending the two together mm-hmm uh, there's sirens going off at one point, and Bowie looked Bowie's pretty very paranoid. Concerned. Yeah. yeah, he's very <laughs> concerned. Oh, is there something else going on? Like he's going like there better be a fire somewhere because if they're after me, uh, he may have been arrested a bit earlier than his <laughs> when it did happen. Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite parts is the look of concern on his face. It's another one of yeah, the other those scarier moments where, and that's the thing too is he's he's really opening up here. Like you know he didn't really have to. This is a very dark period in his life. I think he's always looked at it retroactively and been like, I don't even know how I made it out of this alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But thankfully and miraculously, he does. <laughs> one thing too uh, that I love about this this documentary is. 
I think a capture something that I really like about David, and that's that he, he was always such a, a spectacle in public. Uh, there's a clip, it's right, they're still in the desert, I think they pull over to like a gas station or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He just comes out, and changes his plane, it's it's that part of the documentary, and you know, he, he's wearing like a top hat, he's got these skin-tight clothes on, it looks like he's got like a crop top on or something, and he sort of has this thing about him where it's like, if you saw him, you'd think, well, this guy is a big deal. You know, like, like, what's going on here? Like, he's not wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and, you know, Chuck right. Taylor Converse and a baseball hat. Like, he is just so extra and he's sticking out. And I think that's very important to me. And I really want to hammer this point home is that David Bowie is special to me because he's a, he's a very inspiring person, right? Like, there are a lot of artists that I love because they make great music. They make great music. They, they make great records. But David Bowie is, is much more than a, a, an artist who just makes great records, right? He's somebody who... Maybe not single-handedly, but he's at least helped inspire me to like use something like my appearance as a, a form of expression, you know. I'll look at him and go, wow, he's so extraordinary and so different, and, and he's so confidently different. Which is beautiful to me because it discourages con conformity. And that's special because it, it gives you the confidence to embrace like your true self, right? Or, like, yeah. or your inner weirdo or whatever it is. And weirdness is, is nothing but like a bullshit social construct to me. Like I, I hate thinking of the term weird as having negative connotation. Weird is, is, the, is cool to me. Like weird, yes, weird is more good. so than yes. like a bad thing to yeah. me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, and yeah. that's because to me, like when the term weird has a negative connotation, that's just people wanting to protect what they perceive as like traditional or right. ordinary. Or normal. Yeah. As if tradition totally. has never been wrong and is some prestigious almighty thing that should never be questioned so yeah to me like society at large or even if it's just like the arts I, I mean everything i think is always supposed to be pushing forward and david bowie to me has always represented that in a visual capacity and i think when you watch this movie uh maybe at times he's looking a little scary but he still does have that very extraordinary presence to him and i, I think that's my favorite part probably of the documentary is that it captures him in a, in a lot of those moments well, there, there's that one fan that says, that kind of echoes what you started out with, is uh, he, they, they ask him about Bowie, and he, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but he just says, he's from another universe. Yeah. And they ask him, well, wh where was, what's that? And he says, David Bowie. <laughs> and that's just the best answer. Yeah. And then it kind of cuts into just a bunch of fans staring up at the stage while he's playing, and their, their jaws are dropped. Their eyes don't, they don't blink. Yeah. And it's a different kind of reaction. Uh, it's not Beatlemania screaming because the music's great. Like, the music's great, but they're looking at him like they're seeing something that represents way more mm -hmm. than I think we could ever really put into words. Yeah. He's just, yeah, he, he's. I, you you said it best. I, I can't. Uh, I don't really. I can't really add much to that because I, other than to say I 100% agree, and I've taken inspiration from that as well. Uh, it, it's. I, I mean, I, I've never really thought about oh, Bowie's the reason why I promote my inner individuality. But I mean, I guess like really, it's it's really picking up on influences along the way. Yeah, and, and he's got to be at the top of that list when it's a little more subtle too right because like we're not like copying him like i'm not trying to look like him but you're in a way like inspired to just to look the way you, you want right yeah, because that's you. what you although saw. you're kind of looking hunky dory uh right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do have my hair uh down to well what i don't know my just halfway down my chest <laughs> yeah but uh i mean i kind of always have been like i've never been like uh 
like a social outcast or anything, but I, I was always like the kind of like the weird one, right? And I, I think somebody like David Bowie has sort of encouraged me to not only just have weird interests, but to just, you know, just whatever, don't care about the way you look, just look the way that you think is cool because yeah. that is the coolest thing that you could do. I remember uh, I was like 16 or something and I, I had, mom and dad were gone and we had a party and I had a bunch of high school friends over and I had Beetle, my Beetle dolls were out. Like I had, these, <laughs> I had these Beetle dolls that I played with as a kid religiously. Uh, and yeah, yeah, they were, they were out and uh, you I mean, kicked everybody out and started playing with them. I got, I got a few like weird looks like, what are these? Like, and I was just like, Oh boy, here we go. And actually another funny story. Um, there was this party house in high school that every Friday you could go to and they had, uh, their, the people's parents had a bunch of old, you know, sixties and seventies music. And I'd put on beach boys. stuff. like there'd be, you know, there'd be like, you know, rap playing or whatever. And I would, uh, I would put it in like the five disc changer and just just slip it in on random and then just like walk away and watch the, it explode. And then you get, you know, surfing or something. (laughs) It's genius too, to put, you know, Snoop Dogg on CD1 and Dr. Dre on CD2 and then Surf and Safari on CD3 because then you can kind of back away for an hour (laughs) and you're not the culprit. (laughs) Anyway, uh, needless to say, I was the only one uh, who, never mind, liked listening to the Beach Boys, but even probably knew who they were uh, (laughs) out of my friend group, so... I mean, speaking of his wardrobe, there's other great scenes in here in Cracked Actor yeah, where he's like, yeah. he's, he's talking about uh, the like ele- Kabuki Theater yeah. and all that, right? And his, you know, his interests are just so far spanning and he, and it's once again, it's just an instance of him sticking out. It's like, you know, us and our friends and, you know, people don't really talk about the things that Bowie's into, right? I almost feel like he was too unique of a personality and a performer to not be popular because he's just so, he's so extraordinary. Like all his interests are so unique and out there and it's like of course he became a star because he's just presenting all so many things that you know people just aren't really into and then when we see them we're like wow you know like totally it was neat too how he talked about how each costume represented a different uh i guess what do you call it personality uh of aladdin sane the character and he he definitely drew that line in the sand that aladdin sane is a different character from ziggy Mm-hmm. And that every time you put on a different costume, it was a different personality of Aladdin Sane, uh, yeah. which was really, really cool. Uh, and yeah, the, the costumes are just awesome. And he's really into the movie. He's talking about them. He's so passionate about them, right? Like yeah. He's... Oh, yeah. He's totally into it. Yeah. Like, and, and it's neat, too, because he's looking back at it. And yeah. he's still got this warm feeling towards it. Yeah. Like sometimes you think like, oh, Bowie's cutthroat and he was always like, I- I'm just going to kill Ziggy. I'm going to kill that mm-hmm. insane. I'm going to cut the band and move on to something else. And no, he still has affection for that stuff. It's just as an artist, it's time to move forward. Yeah. And even just as a fan, you know, you're really into something at a, at a moment. He was very passionate about it. And yeah, he, he cuts his ties with it, but that doesn't mean that it made him very happy in that moment right? right like that moment isn't gone from his life he's just in a different moment yeah he's very good at leaving at the right time yeah or exiting at the right time you know you, it's better to be uh, an hour or leave an hour early than an hour late kind of thing um yeah that, that's a cool scene he also kind of goes through i'm not sure if he was actually doing new cut-ups for writing, but I think that was just posing. Okay, you're gonna do this documentary on me. This is what I've been doing, right? Because yeah. I think the ones they show are Moon Age Daydream, which is obviously not a new song. Because yeah, the song plays and the lyrics are 
yeah pasted cut up form i think they also show that for sweet thing they have some of the lyrics shown yeah. on the, but yeah. i mean yeah another older song but it's kind of neat for him just yeah, he used scissors and cut it just like you imagined him to. And that's where he explained that it wasn't a way of, oh, let's just see what random stuff I can get. It was just a way of uh, a gateway into opening his mind and going down right. new roads in his own mind that he wasn't able to do before, which I think is so fascinating because yeah. you, you would think of cutting up words and spreading it. You would think of that as being, oh, this is random. This isn't me. This isn't You take that literally. But he took yeah. that and it was like a, a gateway right. for him. Yeah. And uh, it's another thing where he's just so... When you listen to him talk about something, it's you'd mentioned it earlier. Like he he won't bullshit. He might at, at a moment in time, but he eventually like you know he knows what he's talking about yeah. when he's when he's into something. He's not doing it for show. When you listen to him speak on these subjects, it's like oh yeah, he's he's and he's so well spoken and well articulated, even for a, a point in time in his life where he's looking like he's you know he's not his healthiest. No, but he's you know still a very sharp sharp person yeah. in so many ways. He starts to lose it. Here and there, right? But he still is a, a very bright and, and intelligent and well-articulated uh, individual. And it comes out in this documentary uh, yeah, all over the place. And, yeah, he is very well-spoken. His his grammar got better despite, I guess, because he said, he said that in school I was terrible in grammar. Grammar, yeah, but he could write a good story. Right, And, yeah. I mean, he... The grammar followed. That's also not bullshit because we have his catalog to... <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, this is just really a fascinating document, and and I think you said it good too. I mean, it, it's it's blended together well too, so that the music matches, and it, it really is, it's like equal parts documentary and almost equal parts film, like the way that everything's sort of blended together. Yeah, it's more of a film than a yeah. documentary for sure. I I almost wish that, well, of course I wish there was more live footage, but. I, I don't wish that it was omitted because then we wouldn't have live footage. But in a perfect world, I guess, this would have been like, you know, maybe the same length, but more of that. So, like, it's it's short. It's under an hour. The director's cuts or, you know, the yeah. extended version. Or, or maybe you get, like, an hour with no live stuff and yeah. just this, and then you get, like, a live concert footage just DVD. Just a, a live concert DVD is yeah. all we're asking for. It's yeah. not a lot. Like... Just you know, even just five songs or so. I mean, I no, I don't want. I want the whole. I want a whole concert filmed. Yeah. Uh, particularly maybe one from the Soul Tour, or maybe one of the, maybe one of the later dates of the the Diamond Dogs Tour, but just something because we only get the few. There's only a few songs that we see live, right? And it's thank God for this documentary. We wouldn't have anything. Yeah. Uh, so you know we. It's get, interesting having not much of this it makes you want it more perhaps like i wonder by not having as many like nowadays if bowie was just starting out and we had you know a 50-year career mm -hmm. ahead of us like we would have every show never mind yeah. every tour cover. cell phones and like, like smartphones yeah. and even in the 90s and 2000s you'd have vhs camcord you know you'd have all kinds of means of recording right. stuff so like i wonder how different things would be like like would we be as obsessed uh i can speak on both of our behalf i think to say that we're a bit obsessed with bowie but like would we be as crazy about him if there was like so much like it's almost like uh, we didn't know what we were missing right yeah yeah or even just because like, like we know now that there's a a path to literally having everything recorded like i yeah well i've i've probably seen every bit of live 
footage of Bowie, uh, certainly up to, say, uh, the mid-90s. I've, I've seen it all, right? Or, like, mm-hmm. I've seen every Beatles recording of, of a live version. Or a lot of, you know, stuff where it doesn't exist as much. I've, I've seen it all. But but it, as you get into, you know, the, certainly over the past 10 years, it's almost like, uh, what do they call it, uh, analysis paralysis, mm-hmm. where you can scroll through it and you don't even know what to pick because there's so much. Yeah. It's like, you know, you cruise Netflix or Spotify. It's like, what do I listen to today? Nothing, because there's too much to choose from. There's almost so much out there now that would you be... Would you take the time to watch it all, like, or or watch even just a little bit that you would really really like? Because there's just so much out there, you don't know where to start. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. Comparing eras is such a tough thing to do, no matter what the subject. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but I, I guess I'm just wondering if because we're deprived of certain of of things, maybe that has something to do with how much we're into it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, when you, you brought up the Beatles again, which is, you know, we always mention it's at some point. Here. But, uh, no, when we when Get Back, obviously, was just, you know, started streaming on Disney+. Plus. It was that about a month ago. Yeah. Uh, my only knock on that document, the only thing I didn't like about the movie is I just l- left it going, well, I want to watch them record Revolver now. <laughs> you know, I want right. to watch them record yeah, exactly. Sgt. Pepper's and Magical Mystery Tour and, Cause and, and it's Because it's not, it's not the best representation of the band and people are kind of making generalizations of the band based off of the one thing that yeah. they the most i mean recency bias whatever you want to call it but let's not let's not open up that yeah well there's conversation for another day we, but we may have another uh, but another to, hour. to go back to bowie i do think that it's a little bit of a and a little bit of b because yeah on one hand we're maybe you know uh what's the word i'm looking for greedy and wanting everything because we're so used to having everything but i think for this tour in particular with how extravagant this, yeah. I mean, this has got to be the biggest, uh, like you know, the, the the footage is supposedly the best, and we have the least of it. Yeah. So it's like, and the set was the most it, expensive. If it was point. just the Ziggy tour, like, oh, I don't, I, I don't really need to see yeah. any more of that. But like this tour, like, I, I need to, I, I'm never going to. But like, I, so I suppose I can't say need because I'm not going to ever see. It, but <laughs> yeah. I, I really want to see this footage more than. Uh, most things for I can't really think of another artist a particular tour where there's less footage where there should be more right yeah it's frustrating I would imagine this would be the most expensive tour to put on up until a glass spider I would imagine that would be because there were multiple spiders like there were multiple sets I think where they move it ahead of time like you know the logistics it called for three spiders if you're going to make that work uh, in a reasonable amount of time uh so I'd imagine that this would have been the most expensive up until that point. And less technological advancements in right. 74 yeah. is in 75 as well. Right. right. Yeah. So that's 12, 13 years of different. Yeah. It, it got a lot better back then. And it probably cost less money for the, like some of the things that he's doing, like, well, it didn't even work first of all, but yeah. like, to, like, you know, it's more like just hard work and labor. Right. It took yeah. a long time to set a lot of this stuff up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of things were sort of working against him in this tour. I mean, this is maybe the one sort of tour, and even just David Live in general, is the one thing where maybe the aspirations were a little too high, you could even argue. Yeah, and it's maybe. not that I don't think that he wasn't capable of executing it, because I mean, it's David Bowie, for God's sake. We're doing a podcast about him. We, we don't doubt his talent and capabilities, but it's just like with time constraints and money and just, you know, technological... Uh, What's the opposite of an advancement? It's just they don't they don't have the technology yeah, to be doing today. He was point. just maybe just there was just he was going for something that he just couldn't quite get, especially in a 
especially with the state of, of mind he was in in his body, you know, this is like the one album that we've covered to maybe go back to David Live, the one album that we've covered that I kind of don't really like, you know, it's like the one time where it's like, ah, yeah, this, he, I don't want to say a failure, but it, it, it falls maybe a little flat from its goal. I think it falls during, uh, our funny language. <laughs> I shouldn't say it falls because you just said it falls flat. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it takes place during a time where he was busy. <laughs> like he was writing another album. He was putting a new band together. He was killing off an old character and starting a new sound. I mean, not many, like it's amazing. He was able th- to do what he did. When you think of yeah. <laughs> like, let's just use the glass spider again. Cause that's the popular comparison right now. Uh, to do that, like he, he wasn't putting out another album and changing his sound in 88. Mm-hmm. A yeah. year later, or or no, I should I should say in '87 because yeah. Diamond Dogs came out in '74, and he's and doing by, it, and and by late '74, not only is he doing this live album and starting a new and and the, the elaborate set and all that, but he's also getting a new band together and putting a new sound together, and he's starting to record Young Americans, like you know the tours that once again the Beatles were doing in say '64. Imagine trying to do this during their schedule. That's what Bowie kind of tried to do. So maybe he did bite off more than he could chew, and that's yeah. why... And it's still pretty decent. It, it is. You yeah. know, and especially the visual aspects. Because by all accounts, the live recorded, especially the David Live version, doesn't do the tour justice. That the people could, that went there say they loved the show. It could just be why it wasn't captured the way that it should have. Yeah. 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 I, this isn't... This is... Yeah, like you said, it's probably the... The, the album definitely up to this point that I play the least uh, that we've covered but it's once again it's a solid solid play when you put it on if, if you're in the mood for it yeah to me this album is just more of, of an artifact it's a it's a good snapshot of him mutating it's uh, but nothing really more than that you know uh, nothing with real standalone value just it's sort of like an interesting snapshot of where he was at in, in his career and where what the direction that he was headed to i, I don't really think there's a, a good sound he hasn't really has a uh, doesn't have a refined sound on the album they do the tracks do flow together seamlessly and there are a lot of uh songs from different albums which is kind of neat that he was able to you know this mm-hmm. man who sold the world songs all the way up to diamond dogs here which they do sound very cohesive so i mean if you want to yeah. Give him credit for that. Go for it. But I, I would argue that that sound is just, it's not up to like the, the, the gold Bowie standard. It's, you know, it's a, it's up to the seventies power ballad standard, which is fine. Uh, it, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think where I agree with you is I listen to this for Earl Slick. I don't normally listen to a Bowie album for somebody else. I usually listen to it for Bowie. He sounds like drained on a lot of these recordings too, um, and it spots it works. Like I said on here today, gone tomorrow. I just love that rasp in his voice. But in other songs, I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, this kind of sounds a little sluggish See, or something. And I think that's what I don't like about that song. Uh, or that version of it is I, I would love to see what a you know a healthy and not tired Bowie how he would have maybe sung a, a, a song like that like a soul especially a, a, you know. something that requires a lot of power yeah. out of your voice yeah. But, yeah. So, yeah, you know, an interesting snapshot and an interesting glimpse into where he was going. But like with Bowie always, there is the sort of the one eye to the future and one eye to the past. It is worth mentioning that Bowie was always a soul guy. I mean, his first idol was James Brown, right? It's, so it's 
it's not like he's just totally doing something completely different. It's almost like he went back on pinups, right, to yeah. the R&B stuff, and now he's going back even further, further to his yeah. first... Here, I mean, the reason that he kind of became a, a singer, right? He went, wow, look at this. So, yeah, he's going forward and backwards at the same time, which has kind of been a recurring theme up until this point in his career. Yeah. I, I like how he said in Cracked Actor, too, that he couldn't decide if he was going to be a rock and roll singer or a jazz musician. And he said, well, I wasn't really good enough to be a jazz musician, so I thought, hey, I could do this rock and roll thing. One of my favorite quotes from... Uh, one of my favorite hip hop producers is uh, LP, who's you know run the Duff Jux label back in the day, is now in Run the Jewels, and he had a similar backstory. He went, "Well, I was didn't know what to be. I was gonna either gonna be a rapper, or, or at first he was gonna be a like a jazz player." And he said he looked at himself in the mirror holding a saxophone and went, "No." <laughs> like it just, no. But David Bowie does hold a saxophone pretty damn cool in the back cover of Pinups. Yeah, he, uh, he holds it a yeah. little. I've never really seen somebody hold a sax that way. So yeah, I mean Bowie found out. He's always been a pretty inventive guy. He even invented a cool way to hold a sax. So I like the way he holds the guitar in the Rebel Rebel promo shoot too. I guess that kind of falls into this. Where else are we going to talk about it? Or he holds it like a like a gun. Well, he's just almost. yeah, he's gun upside down. He's I got a picture in my garage where it's like he's screaming at it or he's looking at it with his mouth open and yeah. He, he didn't do things conventionally, which is why we love the guy, right? Or at least one of I mean the probably the number one reason. Yeah. All right, so that does it for the Diamond Dogs tour episode. This was a fun one. I, I like these tour ones. It's a bit kind of tough to to map out in my head how we're going to talk about them, but mm. it, it, it it's a lot of fun. Luckily, he leaves a lot of meat on the bone for us to <laughs> exactly. just, you know, yeah, to start and end wherever, and, you yeah. know, uh, we enjoyed it, and we hope you did too, but till next time, we're signing off. I'm John. And I'm Jesse. Thanks for listening.